Carrie. Turn with your Bibles this morning to Ephesians 2, and we're going to continue our study in this great book of the Bible. And I, I trust you're enjoying this um, particular series of sermons. And we're just, as I said last week, we're just kind of taking our time, working our way through the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and I read these same verses last Lord's Day, and we looked at verses 8 and 9 last week, and this morning we're going to be looking at verse 10. I'll read verses 8 through 10 again, and remember as we read, this is the Word of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And again, that is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, another time together with your people and your Word. And we pray you would bless it. Pray that you would open our eyes to see its truth, our ears to hear its message. And more than all, you open our hearts to be able to take it and to apply it, to be changed by it. We pray, O oh God, that you would, by your Spirit, be our teacher today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last uh, Sunday when we looked at uh, verses 8 and 9, we saw that uh, salvation is all of grace. That is the fundamental biblical teaching about salvation. It is all of grace. Specifically, it is all of God's grace. And the Bible could not be more clear, could it, than it is in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Those verses teach clearly that we are saved by grace and not by works. We saw last week that, that works nullify grace. That if we deserve or merit salvation because of something we have done, then salvation is no longer of grace. You see, the only works God considers in regard to our receiving salvation are the works of Christ. His passive or His active obedience, actively obeying the, obeying the law of God perfectly, and His passive obedience, submitting Himself to the just penalty of the law, which you and I deserved. However, verse 10 adds kind of a new wrinkle, doesn't it? This whole matter of salvation by grace, because it talks about the importance of good works, even the necessity of good works in the life of a Christian. And so this morning, I want to take verse 10 by itself. And I want in particular for us to look this morning at the relationship between grace and faith and works. Three things from this verse this morning. First, this verse says that we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. That means God is working in us and on us to make us what He wants us to be. 
And isn't that the whole point of Ephesians chapter 2? It's all about what God has done for us and in us to accomplish our salvation and to bring us to saving faith. Remember what we've seen in this chapter. Started in verse 1 by declaring that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That is, we were helpless and hopeless. Couldn't do anything for ourselves. But God intervened, did something for us, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with Christ, seated us in the heavenly places of Christ. And it goes on to say that he did that for one reason. Because of his love, his mercy, his grace, and his kindness. There was nothing in us, nothing about us, that led God to save us. Our salvation is all about God's unmerited favor and his undeserved grace. I want to think about the first part of verse 10 for just a few moments this morning. Because I think it is fundamental to our understanding of salvation and especially salvation by grace. The text says in verse 10, we are his or God's workmanship. That's the case from the very beginning, isn't it? You know, God created us in his image. The very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1.27, tells us God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man, male and female, he created them. Well, why do I bring that up in the context here of Paul declaring that we are God's workmanship? It is because sometimes I'm afraid. I fear that we are not content simply allowing ourselves to be made in the image of God and being conformed more and more to His image. But instead, we attempt to make God after our own image. Instead of us being God's workmanship, so often God becomes our workmanship. You understand what I'm saying? Instead of allowing God to be who He is, we form our idea of God into what we want Him to be. Here he gave a wonderful Sunday school lesson this morning from Romans chapter 12 about this whole idea of the, the marvelous character of God, focusing in particular upon His knowledge and His wisdom and the great comfort that we receive as believers simply knowing who God is. And that's one of the distinctives of, of, of the Reformed faith and Reformed theology and Reformed churches to be. It's because our focus is so much upon God and upon who He is and our, our desire is to, to exalt and glorify Him. We sang this morning, in my life, Lord, be glorified. In my song, Lord, be glorified. In your church, Lord, be glorified. Today, that is our desire. We want God to be glorified and praised. And that's the, that's the heart, to me, of Reformed theology, of the Reformed faith. It's a complete and total focus upon God. Not to the exclusion of the needs of man, but we don't focus upon man 
determining his own destiny. What we get out of. The blessings that are ours. They're rich blessings, but folks, that's not the focus. You realize the greater the blessing we get is, is determined upon the greater glory we give to God and the more focus that we have upon Him. And yet our tendency, because God is so great and so wonderful and so marvelous and so beyond us, so much so that we can't understand Him and we can't grasp Him, our tendency is to reduce Him to something that we can grasp. And can't understand. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 44 this morning. I'm going to spend a little time in this, in Isaiah 44. I want you to keep in mind where, what I'm talking about here. The Ephesians says, we are God's workmanship. And my concern is how we reverse that so often. And what I want you to see is that any idea that you have of God, any idea that you have of God that does not conform to the biblical description of God is an idol. It's different from who He is and how He's revealed Himself to us. Isaiah 44 gives us a description of people who are really making idols, forming graven images, making their gods into literally who they wanted those gods to be. We we'll begin it. Verse nine. The title, the heading in my Bible of this section is the folly of idolatry. Verse nine, Isaiah forty-four. Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile, and their precious things—that is, those idols—are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or to know, so they will be put to shame. Who is fashioned to God or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, verse 11, first part, behold, all his companions will be put to shame. For the craftsmen or the workmen themselves are mere men. You see what's happening there? These individuals are crafting, making these idols, these precious things, and yet they are of no profit. They are the craftsmen, the workmen, making these images into what they want them to be. Pick up with verse 12. The man shapes iron from a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and, and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of man, so that it may sit in a house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and makes the rain to grow, and the rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. 
He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I've seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a god. His graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it. And says, deliver me, for you are my God. And why do I go into all that here? The people that Isaiah describes here are workmen. They're working with iron and they're working with wood. And they're making a God, aren't they? They're making a God after their own image. They're making God as they want their God to be. They are making a God that they can control. A God they can set over in the corner and observe. They're making a God in the form of man. These men are the craftsmen, the workmen. And these idols are their workmanship. Now we don't make idols of iron and wood today, do we? But we do tend to make them with our minds. Again, anytime we have some idea or concept of God that doesn't come from how he describes himself in the Bible, folks, we have made an idol. Anytime you come to the, a passage in the Bible and you say, well, well God wouldn't do that, or, or God wouldn't say that, or God isn't really like that, then you're making a, a, an idol in your own mind. Performing God after our own image. Reducing God to what we want Him to be. Years ago, and I mean years ago, when I was in college, I heard a sermon by Dr. John Sanderson, long deceased. But Dr. John Sanderson preached a sermon. Now, I still remember the title of that sermon. If you remember one of my sermon titles 40 years from now, I'll be real impressed. If one stays with you that long, you know it, it, it struck a nerve somewhere. The title of that sermon was this. The God you made or the God who made you? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Well, God is up here in your mind. God who made you? Or the God you made? And he went through Isaiah 44. And he talked about some of the things that people say about God differ from his word. And he applied the title of that sermon. For example, some people say that God wouldn't send anyone to hell. What God would? Some God you made. Some people say that God would not choose, certainly choose some for salvation and not others. 
what God would. Some God you made. Some people say God's not sovereign over all of life. The things just happen by chance. That things aren't under his control. What God is that? Some God you made. You see, I want you to understand, the text says this, we are God's workmanship. We are not his workmanship. Or rather, he is not our workmanship. God is working on us, making us into what he wants us to be. And we're not to be working on God, making him into what we want him to be. That's a fundamental distinction. Especially when you come to this whole idea of salvation by grace. It's all of grace because of who God is, the sovereign, eternal, mighty God of heaven and earth. And then second in this verse, we see that we are created for good works. Now in the context, when Paul says we are, here, we are created for good works, he doesn't mean the original creation of the world. He means the new our new hearts when we were created as new beings, made new creatures in Christ. And that's how he puts it there in verse 10. When he says, says this, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now here we see that uh, good works are not at all a part of our achieving salvation. But good works are a necessary consequence of our having salvation. And that's, again, an important distinction to make. Good works have no role, folks, in our achieving or accomplishing or having salvation. But good works are a necessary consequence of salvation. Or to say it another way, works do not cause salvation. Salvation causes good works. We are saved to a life of good works. As we pursue holiness and sanctification, what that means is we pursue more and more the works that God has for us. And the Bible teaches that as you trust in Jesus as your Savior, that you must also submit yourself to Him as Lord. We just don't take the benefits of salvation without submitting ourselves to the consequences of what it means to live a godly and a holy life. Pastor Rick Phillips said this, We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It always produces the good works God desires. I want you to look with me at Titus chapter 2 for just a moment. We'll turn over to Titus 2. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus, Titus two, verse fourteen, where he's talking about salvation in Christ. He says, "Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify us for Himself, a people for His own possession, a people." He goes on to say, "Who are zealous for good deeds?" You know, Jesus said, "My Father is glorified by this." That you bear much fruit 
and so prove to me my disciples. The good deeds and the much fruit are the good works that Paul speaks about here in Ephesians chapter 2. We are not saved by our works, but our salvation produces good works in us. Now, that ties in, of course, with this whole matter of, of sanctification, pursuing holiness. And some believers are intimidated by that. This whole idea of, of, of seeking the face of God and growing closer to Him and of growing in grace and maturing and sanctified, being sanctified and growing in holiness and all the rest intimidates many people because the goal seems too high. And we think, I, I never can achieve that. You know, the wonderful thing is that, that God doesn't leave us alone. The wonderful thing is that God doesn't only save us, but God sanctifies us. God doesn't just bring us to faith. God grows us in the faith. Flip over to the book of Philippians, Philippians just a second. Philippians 1. Philippians is right after Ephesians. Verse 6. For Paul says this, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began it will complete it. He who started it will perfect it. Then go over to chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's the intimidating part. But the comforting and reassuring part comes next in verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. You see, again, God not only saves us, God sanctifies us. God doesn't just draw us to saving faith, but he grows us. The new life God gives us produces new obedience in us. Of course, it's James who is the kind of the one who talks about this distinction the most between faith and works. And James calls a faith that has no works a dead faith. And he says the only way that we can really prove that we have saving faith is by the, the works that that faith produces within us. One of the primary purposes for which God saves us is that we might do good works. You know, I've been flip, start flipping over to uh, Matthew chapter 5. I've been talking all along, in, especially in Ephesians 2, but all of, really all the way through our study in Ephesians. The, 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 the ultimate purpose of our salvation is for the glory of God. Our salvation really is not so much about us as much as about Him. I, I said the last couple of weeks that there'll be no back padding in heaven. No one's going to come up to you and pat you on the back congratulating you for being such a good Christian. But they're going to look at your life and your salvation and they're immediately going to turn their focus upon God who saved you, who glorifies Himself in your salvation. And He does that even through the works that we perform. Look at Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, verse 16, where Jesus says this. It's familiar. 
Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your good works, whatever they are. We're going to talk about some of them in just a moment. Your good works aren't to bring accolades to you, but they're to bring glory and honor to God. And there's one more thing in verse 10 I want you to see. Where the verse says that God prepared our good works beforehand. Look at verse 10 again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, that is those good works, God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You just can't get away from it, can you? Everywhere you turn in the Bible, once your eyes are open to see everywhere in the Bible, you see the hand of God. And you see the salvation is all of God. From beginning to end, from His choosing us in Christ before the foundation of the world to, to the day that we're, we're brought to heaven, salvation's all of God and every step along the way is all of Him. He is causing us to be born again, extending to us His grace, giving us the faith that we need even to believe and to trust in Jesus Christ. And now we see even the good works we perform as a result of our salvation are things God has prepared for us that we might walk in them. You see, not only were we created for good works, but those good works were prepared beforehand for us. God didn't just plan that we would do good works in general, but He lays out specifically the good works that you and I are to do. Some of those good works are, are works of obedience. You see, whenever you're obeying God's Word and keeping God's law, you're engaging in works of obedience. Good works. Works that achieve holiness and sanctification. Whether it be you children honoring your father and your mother. Whether it be not stealing. Whether it be uh, honoring the Sabbath day. Whether it be not coveting. Whatever it might be. Acts of obedience are good works. Another part of our good works that God prepared beforehand for us is the fruit of the Spirit. Good works are characterized by the evidence of the fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You know, in John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. You see, part of our good works that we, we perform are simply the demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. These good works also include the use of our spiritual gifts. Many, many of our good works involve using those gifts, whether it be teaching, helping, serving, giving, singing, exhorting, leading, showing mercy, whatever it is. Whatever spiritual gift God has given to you, as you use that gift, 
you're doing good works. Of course, your gifts and your good works are an essential part of making the church function properly. Those good works also, quite often, include a love and a care and a concern for others. You know, don't we demonstrate so many of our good works in our relationships with other people? The more we demonstrate good works in the body, the more blessing and the more unity we experience as a body. And those are good works that we use to serve others in the body are a reflection of our love for Christ and our, our love for each other. What are those good works? Well, they're just simple things. Taking a meal to someone, calling up someone on the telephone to check on them, sending someone a card, praying for someone, giving someone a ride to church. <laughs> Those are good works. It's a good work, Kathy. It's a good work. This church is full of good works. God prepared those good works beforehand. And we should walk in them. Isn't that a great verse? Really? Isn't it a great verse? We are God's workmanship. He is working in us to make us what He wants us to be, fashioning more and more after His image. He has created us in Christ. We might, we might be doers of good works. And he, has, he laid it out for us. Prepared those good works of obedience and through the Spirit, spiritual gifts and helps to others. We might walk in them. That's why it's so important for us always to seek his face, try to do his will, and walk in the way that he's called us to walk. God help us do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us in Christ. And we thank you so much for the grace you give to us. And we pray this morning you help us to, to trust completely in our understanding of who you are. Love you for who you are. And that we would seek to understand more and more of, of your perfect character. Father, help us to live in the way you've called us to live, to be doers of good works. Try to find what those works are that you've called us to do that we might walk in them. As a result, give you glory and praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.